One of the things that I was that I've been really intent on over the years is building better and with that potentially building smaller. And uh, I don't know if you know the uh, American architect Sarah Susanka. Uh, she uh, yeah, wrote a series yeah. of books called The Not So Big House. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember reading all those books that she wrote 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, and I've really kind of taken to that philosophy of, hey, let's build longer lasting things that are built better. And if you don't have a big budget, don't try and build too big of a house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the bigger the shopping cart that you take to the grocery store, the more stuff you put in at which cost. Whereas if you just take a little basket, even if you fill it with filet mignon, yeah. it's not going to cost as much. Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is none other than Matt Reisinger. Reisinger Build is his company. Now, Matt is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a star. He is a building scientist. <laughs> um, not only is he a master builder and, you know, incredibly, incredibly good at what he does, he also has a fantastic YouTube channel where he'll teach you why he's good at what he does and how to be good lo- like he is. You know, he, the stuff that you learn from the design perspective is just incredible, and we're going to talk to Matt a little bit about that. And Matt Thank is you, currently on-site, in his own new build home that he's building himself. So this one's going to have all the bells and whistles. Um, Matt, welcome to Talk Design. Uh, Thank you, Adrian. Appreciate you having me on. Always uh, always great to see you, my friend. It's so fun that I know you, and we are all these many thousands of miles away, but yet I've met you in person several times over the years. Crazy, huh? Uh, at, at some really cool houses from the Austin uh, chapter of the American Institute of Architects uh, annual uh, homes tour that you've been coming to. It's so cool. How awesome (laughs) to have a friend all the way over in Australia. It is fantastic, man. I love it as well. You know, I did uh, for the, for the homes tour this year, because it was, I missed everybody, of course, but I did um, Mm -hmm. a podcast series where I interviewed everybody who had a uh, building on the um, uh, on the tour. Wow, yeah. cool, man! That's awesome. Well, we've yeah. been a we've been a lead sponsor of that tour for, gosh, almost ten years now. Wow. And um, I I owe massive uh, uh, massive credit to the architects in Austin that have made me who I am. I really yeah. uh, have focused my business on on becoming an architect's builder mm-hmm. and uh, making an architect's making the architects we work with a vital part of the, not just the design process, but the construction process. And yeah. as a result, man, the architecture community here in Austin has been really, really good to me. Well, and you've been good to them. One of my questions was going to be, um, and we'll, we'll jump into one that, one that would have come later, but is, so because you work with so many great architects and because you focus so much on building science and on great construction and you're always pushing the envelope you travel internationally you speak internationally you know you're you're so well educated what's the process when um you're working with an architect to a, a new one to get them to um to learn from you 
essentially, because you, you, you create a team. And if you create a team with a builder, especially one like yourself, there is so yep. much to be learned. Yeah, yeah. Well, on both sides of the table, for sure. Um, it's a great, it's a great question, Adrian. And, and uh, we work with all kinds of different architects, some architects that are uh, one man or one woman shows all the way up to architects that have big offices and maybe even multiple offices. Uh, and some are fairly new to building science uh, and understanding heat and moisture flow and efficiency and others are very well versed in it and uh, and have built, you know, net zero and passive and other uh, sure. monikers that we all might know for years. So every project's a little bit different. Every architecture firm's a little bit different. Um, but one of the things that we've kind of done a good job here in Austin, and I, I'd like to think I'm a big part of that, is we've kind of trained the architect community when they have a client that comes to them is before they get too far into the architecture process, really before they get out of schematic design, yep. the architect is saying, hey, we really should get a good builder involved on this project. Let's make sure that your budget expectations uh, are being met or at least are understood at this point in the game before we get too far down the road. Uh, let's make sure that we've really addressed all of your concerns when it comes to comfort or durability, or maybe you have some specific health issues that you want to address. Uh, you know, I have a client right now that has kids that are incredibly sensitive to mold exposure. Uh -huh. And so one of her massive, uh, you know, desires in the house is to build the most healthy air, indoor air possible. I love and that. that's a huge driving factor in everything that we're doing from the architecture and the construction side of things. So, uh, so here in Austin, most of the time, my business comes from referrals from architects that have a client. Like I got a call uh, yesterday from an architect. There's an NFL player who's building a house in town uh, and has hired the architect. They're at schematic design. We're going to go interview for it. We're going to give them some ballpark pricing, but it's definitely not a bid. It's not sure. a, it's not, know, it's not like a, a bid for the job. It's to give them some idea of what these kind of things cost. Exactly. And then they'll hire us as a consultant, just like you'd hire an engineer or an HVAC designer. And then ultimately later you'll, you'll hire us as a builder. But for now, we're going to help you uh, get a handle on how much is this going to cost? What are the logistics to build it? Um, you know, let's have a builder who can also interface with the engineer and the HVAC designer. Um, let's think about it from a good building science perspective for durability and making sure that whether it's an ultra modern house or an ultra traditional house, that it gets built really well and doesn't have problems in the future. Uh, and so I almost never get a call these days for someone who has a fully developed set of plans and says, Hey, I'd like to get some pricing from you. Yeah, right. Uh, right. 99 just, times out of 100, they've just started in the process and maybe they have an elevation sketch. Maybe they have a floor plan and that's it. And that's that's is, what we want. That's what's perfect, though, because then you truly can be part of the team. And I love the fact that you take it as you, you hired as a consultant at this early stage. Mm -hmm. So they're not necessarily yeah. locked in, although there's no. you know, a 99% chance that they're gonna, you're going to build for them. But just the fact that you can impart the knowledge and everything else. And I imagine if people are working out of state as well, that makes that really powerful because they can, you can impart the knowledge and then you can say, you know what, we'll brief builder X and uh, we can oversee bits and pieces of the project, things like that. 
what? And to your and to your point, it's I always joke about it being my dating contract. You know, it's a two page contract. It's not a lot of money. Uh, you know, I, I asked for a little bit of a deposit and then we kind of basically bill hourly against that. Yeah. But you're not locked into me either. If you don't like me, if I don't respond to emails well, if I'm not a good communicator, uh, you know, whatever. If you don't like my team, then you haven't hired me for any more than this small amount of money that you've paid me to help you consult. And oh, by the way, you keep all that information and that wisdom that we've given you. So yeah. you're getting value for that. But it, but it's it's that dating process to go, hey, do I want to get married to this builder? Oh, uh, and does and, do I want to be married to this client? A hundred percent. Yes, sir. It's a team again. Like um, I always say with clients, like we're we're in this together and the builder is actually going to be the one who's in bed snuggled up to you for a lot longer than uh, in the sense of I am. I'm going to do my part, but then the builder's going to become the integral part. And if you're going to pay me, you know, say 50 or a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to pay the builder, you know, well over a million dollars. Um, so that the relationship needs to be really all working hand in hand because totally. when that happens, you get, you get the house you deserve and the house you, you were promised and the house you're paying for. It's right. um, so critical when you go into that pre-cost um, phase. So, so at this first part, you know, you might throw some figures around. Um, do you do those on like a square foot rate? Is that what you typically would do? Ba- basically, but that's really important for, for me as the builder to start training people to stop thinking like real estate resale and thinking like a builder because, you know, most of the time those early meetings, they already have a price per square foot. Like, oh, I want to spend $300 a square yeah. foot or $500 a square foot. And we have to very quickly say, now, remember, that's not the same price per square foot as that house that you bought that was built 10 years ago, yeah. because that house was sold on the HVAC foot. Uh, but that house had a, uh, you know, a one and a half car garage and a 40 square foot front porch. And your house has a pool and a landscape and a six car garage and a basement media room and, you know, and it's an a little workshop different. and. It's not the same animal. (laughs) And so we have to think about under roof costs and we have to think about the overall project and put some money in for landscape and for all these other things that aren't even house. Do you know? So what I usually do. Go, no, go, go. Sorry, go go ahead, Adrian. I was going to say. say (laughs) You go, Matt. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, really. I was going to say, what we normally do is we give them a breakdown of a couple different costs. And we say, "Here's here's the cost of the house on the heated and cooled square feet. Here's the cost of the house for the unconditioned square footage like porches and garages. And then and then we also put in a landscape or a pool or a whatever allowance to say, you know, you could easily spend between seventy five thousand and one hundred and fifty thousand on a pool of this general dimension. Uh, I have no idea whether it's going to have a negative edge or a spa or whatever, but your schematic design shows you've got a backyard pool. So let's put a budget placeholder in there so that now here's your bottom line, not just this price per HVAC foot. I love this. I love this. Um, I love the analytics of it. Everything about it just sings to me. I I have a a process where I say to people, we have a project budget and then we have a build budget. Now, when we Ah. map out everything you're going to have, including everybody's fees, Mm-hmm. that's going to leave us with a build budget. So if you start with that's a right. million, two million, three million, it doesn't really matter what the figure is. That's mm-hmm. still going to get broken up this way. And right. well, all I want to know 
from you is, is where's the money coming from for each piece? Because if it's That's all right. in one budget or if you've got separate budgets allocated, um, and then we try and do the same. But with a builder, I'm like you, I go, you know what? I want a builder in early, 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 right when we're drawing mm, those first sure. schematic yes. conceptuals. That's when I want to be talking overall costs and predicted outcomes and taking them to projects that uh, that, that you've done already, say, yeah. um, and just work so hand in hand. It totally, Adrian. Makes a big difference. And what and one of the other things we talk about in my office a lot is bad news first. You know, we need to, yeah. we need to really be honest with people early on. Uh, I'll, uh, to, be, to be transparent, when I started my company, uh, often we would not let people, uh, you know, uh, we wouldn't necessarily get right into the bottom line costs early on in the meeting. Or someone would tell us something that we knew in my mind was an unrealistic budget, but we'd say, oh, maybe we can get there. And then those projects didn't turn out well, or we would, we would have an angry client. And yeah. so these days we say, look, bad news first, before you even pay me a penny on my uh, pre-construction services agreement, let's get really realistic with costs. And if you think this is a $2 million project, but you have 20,000 square feet uh, and a 10 car garage, I'm not your builder. Cause I'm not going to tell you that that's even a remote possibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in, in Austin, you know, costs are the costs. I can't change some bottom line things. You know, I have a range of foundation costs over the last five years. I'm not going to be able to build for a cost like this. That's going to get you in that range. This uh, is so important. Hey, this is so um, valuable to clients. One of the things when I come on the AIA tour and I do it here as well is, yeah, it's nice to talk to architects and designers, but I actually really want to talk to builders. The architects and designers I'll go and, you know, lunch with and hang out with, but builders <laughs> tell me the truth um, and they tell me how things work. And so mm -hmm. when you get that, you get, you get just cut to the chase, like, you know, how's it costed? How's that? Where's my savings? Where's my, mm -hmm. um, where, where can we help the client here? Because this is another thing that I always say. And it doesn't really matter how much money you've got. You've still got a value budget. So that's right. 100%. Even my wealthiest clients, they've got a value budget. They go, oh, there's no way I'm mm -hmm. spending that. Oh, this, 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 that's, that's stupid for a house. I'm not, I don't want that to spend totally. that much on this house. Um, yeah. and, and so there's still a budget. Still budget. Yep. So take us, take us a, through your home a bit and uh, tell us some of the cool stuff in there. Um, because yeah, you've moved yeah. from just being a builder to an educator, take us take us on a journey, man. I'd love it. Well, uh, things that I was that I've been really intent on over the years is building better, and with that, potentially building smaller. And uh, I don't know if you know the uh, American architect Sarah Susanka. Uh, she uh, yeah, wrote a series yeah. of books called The Not So Big House. Yeah, uh, I, I remember reading all those books that she wrote 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, and I've really kind of taken to that philosophy of, hey, let's build longer lasting things that are built better. And if you don't have a big budget, don't try and build too big of a house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the, the bigger the shopping cart that you take to the grocery store, the more stuff you put in at which cost. Whereas if you just take a little basket, even if you fill it with filet mignon, yeah. it's not going to cost as much. Square, so square foot and square meterage equals dollars. 
A hundred percent. Even That's if you it. build it at the lower end of the line, yep. you build a bigger house and you automatically have to build a less good house. Yep. So that's one thing I've really been intent on. In my house across the street, Adrian, I'm building a house that's literally across the street from my current house. I love that. <laughs> so your wife uh, can keep an eye on you. <laughs> for sure. For sure. In fact, when we're done, I'm heading, uh, you know, I'm 12 Hed- hours be- behind you. I'm heading to dinner right after this, even I though you're heading that, to the man. office. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> my current house, I have four children uh, and we live in 2,100 square feet. Yeah. And I remodeled that house 14 years ago and it's a 70s house. And having lived in that remodel that I did has taught me a lot of lessons about the Texas climate, uh, about what's important to me. And also what square footage is important and what isn't. And yeah. a little a little backstory on me. When I first started my company, I had these grand designs to live in a big house like my clients. Uh, and in fact, as just as the 07, 08 recession hit, I had designed a 6,000 square foot house that I was going to build for my family. Wow. Uh, and, and praise the Lord, I never built it because I would have gone bankrupt. But I had all these grand designs to like, oh, every couple of two or three years, I'm going to build a new house and get a bigger and bigger house. Well, that, I'm so thankful I never did that. And as a result, here we are, you know, 15 years later, I'm building a 2,700 square foot house. So it's a whopping 500 square feet bigger than my current house. But it's, but it's built to a really high standard. I'm, I'm shooting for the Passive House Institute US yeah. uh, rating on this house. Whether I get it or not, we'll see. Uh, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I'm using their principles and it will be very close. If I, if I don't make it, it'll be by just a a few small percentages. Yeah. So I, I did kind of an interesting thing though, that I don't I wouldn't necessarily recommend. I used two different architects on this project. Just Um, for the fun of it. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I I had my local architect that I had a relationship with, um, that I'd known for a long time. Uh, and, uh, he did a great job on keeping me in, uh, local ordinances and codes and knowing what would get permitted and what wouldn't. Sure. But then I used another architect, uh, for some of the nerdy building science and passive house details. Uh, so nice. Steve basic, uh, who also shoots videos on my buildshownetwork.com, uh, did a series of details for me that would help me take this to come to the next level of performance. Um, oh, I love so Adrian, that. I don't know if you saw my videos on the framing, but I made one one video that I'll mention called Monopoly Framing. If you just Google Monopoly Framing, that video will come up. But I did something that uh, I've thought I've been thinking about for a long time, and I built another house with a similar principle. Uh, this real famous building scientist here in America, Joe Stebrick, uh, wrote an article, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago called The Perfect Wall. And the whole point of the article is, you know, in America, and it sounds like in Australia, we're wood framed. Uh-huh. I think you guys are 90%. mostly wood, yeah. mostly yeah. wood framed as well. Wood is a pretty, um, uh, pretty interesting building material in that your dining room table is made out of wood and it could basically last forever. You might have a, uh, you know, a Chinese Ming dynasty table that, that's yeah. uh, several hundred years old. And because that dining room table lives in an air conditioned space, it doesn't get wet it could last almost forever. Yeah. On the other hand, your wood deck that's behind your house, whether you have termites or not, uh, whether it's pressure treated or not, whether it's EPAY or not, it has a limited lifespan because UV rays are breaking it down. It's getting wet. Uh, it has all these other environmental um, damage functions. 
And so wood buildings, if they're totally dry, like a dining room table, can last 500 years. But if they have problems, if they get wet, if water gets in, that's when the mold and the rot set in. That's when the damage happens. That's when unhealthiness happens in those houses. So the idea behind the perfect wall is you build a wood framed house yeah. and you build it without overhangs and then you insulate on the outside of the wood and then you add a big umbrella on top of the house. In other words, you build the overhangs on top of the insulation. And that's basically what I did here, Adrian. Oh, I really, look at that. Um, yeah, that sounds really I built, interesting. I built the house so that my air barrier and my water barrier are continuous from the foundation of the house to the ridge of the house without a break. And I've okay. heard Joe Stebrick talk about as an architect, you want to run your pencil from the foundation to the ridge of the roof without having to lift your pencil in the continuity of those layers. And it's the connection of those continuities where all the problems break down where air leaks in, where water could get in, where the problems occur. So at my house, I used a, a sheathing system that is pretty popular in America called Huber Zip System Sheathing, but you could do it with uh, you know, plywood and, and peel and stick house wrap as well. And I ran that all the way to the ridge of my house so that my roof rafters are clipped at my wall sheathing. Okay. And my sheathing goes up past my rafters and my wall sheathing actually touches my roof decking. And okay. now I've taped that for, for both water and air sealing. And then I've added a big, thick blanket of insulation on the outside of my house. And I added a little bit more to that blanket on my roof, because just like in Australia, the sun is a huge uh, issue <laughs> yeah, here. We get a lot, lot of, a lot of heat gain uh, because I'm in the south of, a, of the United States. I'm in Texas. So I doubled my exterior insulation on my roof deck. And then on top of that, I framed another roof. It's getting dark here, so you may not be able to see this super well as I walk around with my little Zoom uh, meeting here. But basically, this roof above me here yeah. was framed was framed after the wall insulation went up, so it's basically applied on top of that. So you have a and top plate. You have a top plate at the top of the wall, and then at, at essentially where we would normally put up a frame and then put a, a put the, the roof trusses or rafters or whatever on. And then we would steal over that or whatever we're going to do as our roof finish. And then we would build in underneath. You're mm -hmm. building in all the outside barrier first and then sticking a roof on the top of it. Correct. Right. That's right. Oh, and that, that basically means that I've got an umbrella on top of all that. So yeah. I built my two foot overhangs. I built everything on top of that. So like on my porch here, I don't know if you can see it, it's starting to get dark, yes. but yeah. uh, my insulation on the wall here gotcha. was up before my ledger board was on. Oh, so right. we framed this wall and back here that my light's shining on, I can see, yeah. the, insul the insulation went on and then we put those um, ledger boards on and then framed this roof that's above me on top of that insulation. So the insulation is continuous behind that framing. And right. also the air, the air sealing is continuous back there. Yeah. Nothing's and breaking that uh, flow of it. And it's not like bleeding air from in between the other roof piece into the exactly. back there. So when right. the electrician's trying to run something, he's got a bit to get through. He does. That's right. And we need to be really, you know, when it comes to passive house principles, we want a very airtight enclosure. Yeah. And then we want to bring fresh air in on our terms. Yes. And when yes. we, we want to bring it in, not just when the wind's blowing, but we want to bring it in all the time. We want to recover some of the energy because we're also going to blow out some air at the same time. 
And we want a little bit of an exchange of both the heat and the moisture from those two airstreams. And now we can make a house that uh, has fresh air continuously supplied to the bedrooms rather than leaky houses that, yes, they have fresh air, but they only have fresh <laughs> air when the wind's blowing. And they also bring in uh, mold and those other climatic conditions more readily. That's right. Yeah. Whatever's yeah. outside, in yeah. including all those people that have suffered the wildfires on the West Coast. They had smoke in their houses. Sure. Uh, same because same whatever's here outside in Australia. Yeah. Just filtering through the walls in yep. their houses. That's fascinating, man. I love this stuff. Um, so I'm going to put add a post when we put this up um, on the Monopoly framing. I'll put a link to that because awesome. I think it's it's something really cool that people should be all over, you know, and it makes such sense when you explain it. A um, couple of more quick questions. Why did you decide to be a builder? Oh, man, that's a great question, Adrian. Um, you know, honestly, I, I didn't as a kid necessarily think I was going to be a builder, although I'd watched uh, this TV show in America called This Old House. I don't know if yeah. you guys have seen yeah. that down I've there. Seen but this Old House, yeah. I, I started watching it in seventh or eighth grade and I started working construction in about seventh grade and I loved construction because it was such a hands-on tangible uh, thing where I would do a project and feel like gosh I really accomplished something yeah um, but in high school and college I thought I was going to be an engineer for a while uh, and then honestly I, I, I wanted to be a lawyer so I could make a lot of money and and have a fancy car for a while <laughs> uh and then uh until and you then found out what to, lawyers did yeah I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like that part and then for a while i thought uh i actually might want to build cars for a living and work for toyota oh, wow. yeah uh and that's actually what my college degree is i went to school for industrial manufacturing oh, fantastic. Uh, and then when i was graduating uh from college i'm a 1995 grad i'm a little older than you are adrian uh, maybe uh, <laughs> but uh when i was graduating uh, I went to a little kind of rural college that didn't have these big companies. Uh, you know, toy, there was no internet in 95. My, my handwritten uh, or hand typed letters to Toyota, um, nice crane stationary paper were probably Beautiful. thrown in the toilet at their factory. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a national production builder here in America came to my campus and started talking about these jobs they had for superintendents. And they didn't need experienced people. They just wanted uh, young men and women that were, good communicators that liked construction that wanted to manage projects. And as I heard them talk about it, I thought, well, that's me. That sounds awesome. I had no, I didn't know any builders growing up. Yeah. Uh, wow. you know, my dad, my dad was in sales in the steel industry in Pittsburgh, PA, my hometown. So, you know, I just didn't know anybody so who was from a tradesman. Pittsburgh originally? You're, you're that's from right. Pittsburgh? That's my hometown. Yeah. Wow. I go there too. Oh, do you really? Yeah. That's because, um, it's my hometown. Because Frank Lloyd Wright has a whole bunch of the houses around yeah. falling water and stuff. And I often go yeah. there on tour, take tours yeah, there. there. Yeah. Beautiful there. Pittsburgh's so basically cool you're going to answer your question. It is a great town. So I kind of fell into the business uh, and I have loved it and I've been doing it for 25 years and can't imagine doing anything else. It's been a huge blessing yes. and I'm so thankful that, that I've gotten into this industry. So I've got one more question because I love this. One more question because you, you're ready for dinner. Um, if you had one last project, what would it have to be? 
Oh, that's interesting. Meaning I'm about to retire. What's my, what's my, maybe, maybe not what's even my... retire. It's just the, you're not allowed to do this again. You've only got one more shot. What mm. would you want to build? What would you want to do? Create? Oh man, that's such a great question, Adrian. You know, um, one of the things I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, squirrely for a second. Yeah. One of the things I love about YouTube and what I get to do on the build show is that I get to hear from people around the U S around North America, around the world that they're building their houses with some of my principles or things that they've learned from me. And so one of the things I love uh, about putting my um, education out there for free is that I hear from all kinds of people that they're building houses with, uh, with a, a greater level of care and thought than they would have before they met me or before they started watching my videos. And, and so as a result, I get to honestly build houses around the world, uh, yeah. even though I'm not on site every day. And that's, that really makes me happy. But when it comes to, uh, to actually building in Austin where I am, uh, I think that there is a, uh, there's a house that I would like to build for my family, probably in another 10 or 15 years when my kids are out of the house, there would be kind of a 2.0 version of this house. Um, I built this on the original 1970s slab. I had a lot of constraints. Um, I also can, I also kind of changed my design several times because it was a remodel and because my um, kind of uh, ideas changed. I think if I really had the time, I would go, all right, if I could take a blank slate and take a year with an architect to really design something from scratch that would be super efficient, super well built, but also um, quite beautiful and really meet all of my design aesthetics. I think I would really love to do that. And, and honestly, it's been a dream of mine to someday do a, uh, a new build for my family that I would get to work with an architect from square one and have a blank sheet. And this house that I'm building now is basically a new house but I had a lot of constraints, uh, both budgetary and um, with uh, reusing the existing slab that uh, kind of penned me into a certain sure. degree yeah. that would be really fun to, to, uh, um, to kind of throw those off. And Just there's a particular a field. For sure. And there's a particular architect in Austin. I won't name him because because uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to say it and yeah. offend other architects. Yeah, there's a particular architect that I for years have said, if I had the money and the ability, I would absolutely hire this firm yeah. to design a house for my family. And I've never been able to do that. I hope someday that I will. Uh, so that that'd be my my ultimate dream. That's brilliant, man. That's really brilliant. I love it. Something that's for your family, which is so cool. So cool. Close to home. Hey, Matt, sure. go and have dinner with that family. It's <laughs> been an absolute pleasure. I want to do another one sometime on, on sure. some, some specifics. Yeah, like really it. clever little things. That'd be great. Um, even though we shouldn't really time date this, have a most amazing Christmas, man, and Thanks, a really Adrian. fabulous new year. And stay Appreciate safe in Austin. It's uh, very close to my heart, as you know. Um, we'll see you back here again. And next time you're here, you can you, podcast with me. I'm starting my podcast in awesome. uh, Q2 of next year. Oh, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's share so, some. Let's share that'd some. That'd be great. I so take it. care, buddy. Thank you so Thanks, much. Um, and we'll Talk post this all up. Thanks, man. Thanks, Bye. brother. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye-bye now. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. 
Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.